It's the Bob McCown Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. McCown here, John Shannon over there. Well, you watch football or hockey on the weekend, or both? Oh, you had to watch everything. Well, you yeah. didn't have to, but yeah, yeah you, I did. you did. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, the, the 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 two stories for me are the Maple Leafs in free fall or uh, the emotion and the excitement of what went on at Ford Field in Detroit last night, which to me was, it wasn't the greatest football game, it was a great, really great first half from when, if you like points, uh, but just the pure and utter emotion of seeing a franchise uh, get over that hump and win a playoff game for the first time since 1991. I mean, people were crying in the crowd. They yeah. were crying. Well, not only that, but the Lions have been a terrible football team for almost as long as we can remember. They didn't just miss the playoffs. They finished close to the bottom of the NFL almost every year. Well, remember, the, they were the last team to go 0-16, right? Yeah. They went 0-16, got Matthew Stafford in the draft the following year, and... That was supposed to change their fortunes. And I guess indirectly it did because they traded Matthew Stafford 11 years later for uh, <laughs> for Jared Goff and five other guys that have contributed to the success of the team. Uh, I just, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not a, a, a die hard, you know, gambling NFL fan. I just like the pure emotion of sports and winners and losers and well, what it can do for, for a fan base. And last night for a fan base, you couldn't help get, but get emotionally involved for what it did for Detroit lion fans. Don't you feel lions can go further in the playoffs? That might be their toughest game. And until the super bowl, if they get to the super bowl, right. When, when you think that it's going to be either Philadelphia or Tampa next, next one. And then of course one would assume the 49ers. Um, but you know, the Rams, the Rams had played such good football the second half of the season, Bob. Yeah. They were pretty I didn't I did not think I did not think based on what we saw with Matthew Stafford last night that the Rams would lose. You know, the inability to get uh get a touchdown in the second half and only get three field goals uh was to me staggering. And you have to wonder, you know, coaches overthink in the National Football League so many times. Did they change their game plan when they got into that red zone? Did they change what they were doing? He could th- he was throwing the ball so well. They were running the ball so well. So it was crazy. Well, um, I I thought LA was going to win too, mainly because of Detroit's history, I suppose. Right. But uh now you never know. Yeah. Detroit was a very good football team all year long. And uh, maybe we should just look at that. Yeah. You know, I, I remember you and I talking about the lions two years ago because uh, they were the team on hard knocks and you couldn't help, but really enjoy and appreciate what Dan Campbell as the coach brought to the franchise. And he was he, like, he's a magnetic personality. Uh, and it certainly appears that, that this team has uh uh, really adopted his personality and his his philosophy. It was it's a cool thing, man. Uh, it, it really is. It's it, it's fun to watch a team like that come not from nowhere, but come out of the 
come come out of the, the ashes in the last three years and and be successful. Look, I'm not a big coach fan in the NFL. I don't think it matters that much, to tell you the truth. I think you got to get the players. Now you have to motivate them, but you have to have the talent in yeah. order to win. And Detroit now has the players on the field. Yeah. So Indeed. Indeed. Hey, uh, we got an old pal of yours on the show today. Stan Caston. Stan Caston, who is, uh, gosh, you know, when you look back in the last 50 years, uh, he might be one of the most constant, influential voices in professional sports, not just one sport, in professional sports in North America. He's had impactful jobs in, obviously, baseball, in basketball, and in hockey. Uh, I, I don't know how he failed in get involved in football, but uh, he's he has been a constant since the early 1980s, and it truly is an amazing story. And now he's at the fulcrum of what the Dodgers have done, right? With Sheo, uh, with Otani and, and with Yamamoto, the pitcher. And well, they've true. more money than God. True, but he is also involved in the uh, Women's Professional League. And that is something I want to question him on. Okay. How let's did that start? Let's let's do that. Stan Caston with Bob and me on the McCowan podcast after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. Welcome back to the McCallum Podcast. Bob's there. John's here. Joined... From is it sunny or cool or what is it in California these days, Dan Castro? Oh, man, it's cold. I, they say it's going to drop down to sixty today. Oh, and, you, uh, bastard. you bastard! You <laughs> 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 uh, bastard! That is not. That is totally unfair at this point, sir. You know, that's in Iowa, and that's Iowa, the kind of show talking. this is going to be. That's the kind of show this is going to be. <laughs> in Iowa, they're talking about minus forty. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, we have no sympathy. Yep. Again, that's kind of what I'm expecting when I got on here. No sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, it, it, so now, you are at the at the center of maybe the two biggest news stories, at least for a lot of our our listeners, um, in the country, and that is Shea uh, uh, Otani. And Yamamoto signing with your baseball team, and then the uh, the professional women's hockey league. Which do you want to start with first? Um, I, I will tell you the one time they ran into each other. You, you know that crazy day before he signed when we're following the airplane uh, that was supposedly carrying Shohei, and I'll, we were following it too. We had no idea what was going on. So the next Monday, I 
I'm in Toronto on January 1 for our first game. Right. And uh, I walk in the back, uh, get into the building at, at Madame and Maple Leaf Gardens. First guy who sees me at the TV truck, he looks at me, points, hey, you're the guy who stole Otani from us. Um, so that's that's happening in my life now. The next day, I was in for our next game of Boston. I was hoping I didn't get any Mookie Betts cracks, and I didn't, so I escaped that. Uh, it, it's uh, it's let, let's start with Otani. I, uh, you know, we we had. Uh, we knew, like everyone else in baseball knew, he'd be free uh, this offseason, and we made plans to take our best shot when that happened. Fortunately, it, it worked out for us. Did you have an idea of the maximum number, amount of dollars that you would spend, Stan? I think uh, uh, we were, you know, in terms of real value, uh, we wound up right about uh, where we planned, hoped it would be. The uh, unique nature of the contract, of course, uh, inflated the gross number, and, mm. and we were fine with that. Um, but it was it, it was a little bit of a shock to the system when we first had it laid out for us. We understood immediately that it would work for us. Uh, well, we also knew the significance of it in in the in the eyes of the public and the media. Does he have to be a pitcher in the uh, you know not so long term? in order for this to be economically viable? Well, I think for us to realize maximum value, he does. But, you know, I, I think if he's an MVP caliber hitter, which he has been in his short career, sure. that would satisfy us as well. But we definitely did this with an eye toward him doing both. And, uh, and we see no reason that that won't happen. Our doctors, who just happen to be his doctor also, uh, assured us of that, or at least they feel strongly about that. And so we're very comfortable thinking he's going to do both again by next year. So you mentioned uh, that you were following the the plane as well as everybody in Toronto was. Um, but surely by that point, you had an indication that they were making the decision. You didn't, you didn't read it on social media like the rest of us, did you? Yeah, we did. No, um, seri no seriously. Yeah. Uh, we absolutely did. Uh, we knew what his timetable was. Uh, he laid out for us a few days ahead of time uh, how he was going to do it, when he was going to do it. We wouldn't be given any heads up ahead of time. Uh, at the end, we did get a heads up. It was one minute, 60 seconds before he made his announcement. We always felt good. And I will tell you from the start, I, I felt strongly that we could wind up with him because I thought from all things considered, we were the, the, the solution that made the most sense for him, the, the most logical landing spot. So I always felt good about it, but that day we had no heads up what was going on. We were in touch with the agent. Agent was telling us, this is part of the process. Don't worry about it. No, he is not on that stupid plane. Um, <laughs> but, but I have to tell you, we're told lots of things in negotiations, so we didn't know what to believe or who to believe. In retrospect, and I say this understanding its significance, the agent was entirely truthful with us at every step of the way. I was not prepared for that, okay? Um, but, but in reviewing everything that happened, he was straight with us uh, at every point, including uh, when we would be notified. And we got 
And in fact, we got the full one minute. It wasn't any half minute stuff. We got the full one minute heads up and that's when we knew. So uh, just, just, sorry, Bob, um, how many times would you have met with Otani? I mean, there were the stories of the, the secret meeting with, for instance, for Toronto and Dunedin with Otani. How many times would your Dodger organization have been across the table from him? I think it was twice. It was certainly once. Um, uh, it might have been twice, but it might not have been because we were meeting so much with the agent more than with uh, more than with the player. We might have had some phone calls, but certainly once where we had uh, a, a real opportunity to talk and discuss things. And uh, now remember, we've met him in the past. We met him six years ago when we uh, tried to get him to be a Dodger. And we've known about him for 10 years since we tried to uh, sign him right out of high school. But I think there was only one meeting here and a whole lot of phone calls with the agent. Do you think of the fact that this guy's played his entire professional career like an hour from Dodger Stadium? Do you think that mattered to you or mattered I'm to sure, him? I'm sure it didn't hurt, um, but I think everything mattered, Bob. We are, you know, we're the Dodgers. You've heard me say this before. We are the Dodgers, and that has appealed to many people for a lot of different reasons, for baseball reasons, for cultural reasons, for economic reasons. That's why I felt so strongly we were the best alternative. Um, but I can't tell you what pushed us over the top. I, I do know... Uh, he has a good relationship with some of our stars. Um, and we, we've seen that be uh, a very prominent since he assigned with us. He's, he's fit right in. He's in our locker room uh, frequently to work out and, and uh, been very involved in the planning for some community efforts and things like that. So at least so far off the field, he is as good as advertised. And I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years? Yeah, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, whatever. You know, if this guy, if he had signed someplace else, say Toronto, obviously you'd think he would move. He'd, <laughs> he'd uh, maybe not go full-time to Toronto, but he'd get a place here. Has uh, he yeah, uh, yeah, he wouldn't be commuting to Laguna. Yeah, like he might right. be doing Well, now. has <laughs> he moved at all with you guys? Do you know? I've no, I, I don't know. It's early. It's also the off-season, so we don't know all those things. I think he has right. plans for him, but... We're going to spend a month in spring training, only a month in spring training before we go to Seoul to open our season. So it's a compressed mm -hmm. schedule this year. I don't know everything that he's been doing because, as you know, I've also had my attention elsewhere for a lot of this time. And uh, so I don't know all those details. Have you heard from the IRS? Not, not, not my issue. Uh, uh, we know exactly how to deduct from uh, players' uh, uh, paychecks, and we will comply fully with all of the laws that uh, pertain. Under the circumstances, that was, that, that was a lawyer's answer right there. Thank you. Thank that you was a lawyer's much. answer. That reason way back. Reason that Columbia back. Law School came in handy. <laughs> do you think, uh, is this guy going to be your DH, or do you think he'll play some outfield? Well, well, certainly not this year. No, he will be in. Uh, he will be the DH for sure. And uh, if he doesn't start a day for a particular reason, I'm sure he'll be available to pinch hit. Uh, as long as he stays healthy, you should see him get four or five at bats uh, every game, and uh, that's what we expect. That's what he expects, and I think that'll be best case for everyone, especially for Dodger fans. So he won't be in the outfield. Is that because of his arm? Yeah, yeah. It's because we're just not. Uh, playing games with his arm health 
uh, it doesn't affect his swing at all, I'm told. Uh, but we're not going to fool around while his uh, arm fully recovers. Understood. It certainly doesn't hurt uh, in getting Otani to get Yamamoto, too. That is, is that kind of uh, icing on the cake? It is, uh, but we love Yamamoto. I mean, we love Yamamoto, and, and we signed to a contract that I think uh, uh, proves that point. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be in our rotation. Exactly where, I, don't, I can't tell you. He's still very young, uh, even by major league standards. And uh, he has shown so much in his young career. You don't get to be MVP and Cy Young three years in a row in, in, in the uh, Japanese league without being extraordinary. So we're really happy about that. We have always had a large presence in Japan just because we're the Dodgers and because of our history. Um, I think this is going to elevate that uh, to a level uh, unforeseen uh, before or never seen before. And uh, again, that's good for us, but it's also good for baseball, putting these two brands together, um, the Dodgers brand along with Otani's brand, and then throwing in Yamamoto and his growing brand. These are all good things for baseball, bringing attention to MLB in Japan like never before. So yeah, that that's a really good point because so much of the financial part of this outside of the United States and Canada goes to major league baseball coffers as opposed to Dodger coffers. Correct. So yeah, not yeah. only, well, not only did not do the Dodgers win, but the other 29 teams win as well. Yeah. It's, it's uh, uh TV uh, licensing uh, merchandise, things like that uh, in Japan or anywhere outside of our, our home territory goes to major league baseball. And uh, that's just yet another way we share revenue uh, <clears throat> with baseball. So, for sure, this is, I think, the best case for maximizing revenues for baseball. But I can't kid you, the major impact is uh, for us here in Los Angeles and to L.A. Dodger fans around the world, which are a growing army of people. Did you raise your prices? Uh, our prices are every year we have for years, we have always managed to match supply and demand in a way that uh, uh, makes our seats available across a wide array of budgets. So some tickets may go up, others may not. Uh, we haven't finalized all of that yet, um, but I think we're always gonna continue to be the affordable alternative uh, uh, for baseball fans. You'll always be able to get in here uh, for many games on a very affordable basis. Again, that's our history and that's not gonna change. Have you seen uh, advertising revenues increase? People we have advertised with you. We, we are uh, in discussions with, you know, we're only two or three, three weeks, four weeks into this. And so we've had discussions right. with many, many people. It is clear that sponsorships uh, uh, will increase in value from what they have been. Yes, that's that's for sure. And your, now, cable, remember, your, your, remember, your cable TV we, package? Uh, and that's not going to change. That's going to stay the same for like another 13 years. So uh, that won't change. Now, does it help baseball? I hope so. Uh, probably down the road it will, maybe not overnight. Uh, but the same thing with our sponsors. We have many, many sponsors who are in the middle of multi-year deals, and those won't change at all. Well, has there been any new Japanese money in uh, to the Dodgers? In other well, words a, lot, a lot of new Japanese interest uh, at this point. Um, which typically is followed by money. Right. 
So, so explain that. How 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 do you how do you generate regional revenue, which the Dodgers would, with with Japanese sponsorship? We uh, we have signage, we have promotions, we have activations in our market, uh, just like with any of our sponsors. Uh, Japanese companies are eligible to uh, take advantage of these uh, programs themselves if they want to be seen on our TV in the LA market, if they want to be uh, seen whenever you see Dodger Stadium on a national game or even on an international game uh, or, 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 or brands that are unknown in this country yet uh, looking to make, to establish their presence in the largest way possible. All of these people can take advantage of just this extraordinary presence in the LA market to make it worth their while. The same as uh, US uh, sponsors. Right. Have you seen any impact in season ticket sales? We can't really do a lot there because we, we have sold about as many season tickets as we right. have. As you know, for the last, for the last uh, well, 10 years, we've led baseball in attendance. Uh, it's always around 3.7, 3.9 right in there. And, and that's going to be about the same this year. Okay. So the, the, the more practical one in your PR department saying, hey, Stan, we need a bigger press room. Yeah. How many, how many media, I mean, you guys have probably, your guys have probably looked at it and said, how many more media people from Japan are going to be here on a regular basis? Well, if we had any more room, we would use it for seats for fans, first yeah. of all, rather than, <laughs> rather than more media. Um, but we have found, uh, we have found room to accommodate uh, the growing media presence. And we, we are going to have to make accommodations for, you know, we've had, uh, international players before. We've had Japanese players before. We've accommodated them in the past. Yes, I think this will be larger than any we've had in the past, but we'll, we'll find a way to make uh, accommodation for them as well. Having been to uh, a few World Series and a couple of times being like auxiliary media, I sat in the stands to watch World Series games. Do you anticipate that you will have to put some media in the seats um, well, if you come, Bob, we, we have a place in the parking lot all ready for you. Thanks so much. We're, we're all set. Uh, we've always uh, taken seats out for the World Series to accommodate the media. I'm sure that will happen. And I'm hoping. What about regular season? I mean, will the media requests be so much that you'll have to do that? Uh I wouldn't foresee that, but if we have to, we will. I mean, uh, okay. media media attention is a good thing for everyone, for us, for the visiting team, and for Major League Baseball. So we will do whatever we need to do to accommodate reasonable media requests. Okay. Otani, Yamamoto, are you guys done? You know, I've been asked that question. The only way uh, to answer it sounds smug, but it's not, is here we, we don't ever feel like we're done. We If we if we can add something to our roster any day of the year, we would look to do that. And we have people who whose living is waking up every morning and seeing what we can add or change uh, that day. So I can never say we're done. Um, and I will tell you right now, we're in discussions with other teams about things we might still do before training camp. Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it does. But the truth is we're never done and no team can ever be done until you've won the seventh game of the world series. Then you can say you're, you'll take a day off and start for next year. But th this is a, a truly a 365 day year business. Yes. All of us in this sport for any time have done a transaction 
on Christmas Day, on New Year's Day. That's what happens in this business. So you should count on us and every other team, including the Blue Jays, never being done. We're always trying to make our teams better. Right. All right, Stan Kasten, we are going to take a quick break and talk about Stan's other uh, project, the Professional Women's Hockey League, and maybe a few other quirky little questions after that. Stan Kasten, Bob McCowan, John Shannon on the McCowan Podcast. Welcome back to the McCowan Podcast. Stan Kasten from hot and steamy Southern California as the rest of the continent freezes. <laughs> Stan, so Stan, um, we, we did talk off the top about the Professional Women's Hockey League. Uh, just oh wait, wait, hold on, I have to, I have to change oh, yeah. the channel. Oh, no, okay, that's very oh, subtle. There you go. That's good. Yeah, uh, subtle. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, at least I won't screw up the the. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's got a sweatshirt on too. Hey, Stan, you got to send Bob a sweatshirt, please. Hey, let Bob get online like everybody else, Stan. But come on. Thank you. Listen, I got I got to ask the first question. What the hell are you doing involved with women's hockey? How does a baseball guy who maybe had a, a basketball team a while ago, how, where does this come from? You know, Bob, Bob, I think you and I got started because of hockey when, when there was this uh, lockout like 20-some years ago. If, or, uh, I know you don't remember things anymore, but trust me, that's true. Really? <laughs> um, so um, the truth is, if you'd asked me a year ago or like 13 months ago, I would have said, this is not a chance. Um, but uh, Mark Walter, our uh, uh, owner and partner, um, came to me because he and Billie Jean King, another one of our partners, had been having conversations with the PWHPA, the group of players that had decided they wouldn't play in a league until they got one uh, uh, run the way they, they thought professional athletes uh, should be run. And um, he came to me and said, look, you know, I want to get this done. It's not getting done. Can you do this for me? So I said, yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Yeah. And I started and it was uh, much trickier than I thought. We spent six months first doing collective bargaining agreement. That was very important to Mark. And, and the players agreed it was important too, that we, we wouldn't do a league unless we understood that both sides would have a relationship that would make this work because we didn't want to do it if it wasn't going to work. And then around July 1, uh, we got that done. At the same time, we made a deal to buy the PHF. So now we did what we thought was the best path to having one league uh, where all the best players in the world could play against each other. Um, that only gave us six months to put a league together, which is nuts. And yet here we are, and we're off to such a great start. I cannot even believe how great it has been, but we're two weeks in and uh, the future is very bright for the PWHL. When, when you talk about challenges early on, um, why was it so complex? And can you give us an idea of what some of those challenges were? Well, okay, you have to, you know, usually when you're in collective bargaining, as I have been many times in my career, you know, you are working from an existing relationship and you're, and you're, you know, if you have problems, you try to respond to those problems and work around the edges. And that is complicated and takes time. Um, but when you are starting with two groups, both of whom have a blank sheet of paper in front of them, that's much more complicated. That's much more difficult. Uh, you really have to think of every single tiny little detail 
from scratch. And so it's time consuming and everything is an argument, not a bad argument, just two people coming from different sides. One side of players wants the most and best that they can have. The other side needs to make a deal that will allow them to someday see a real business here. And, and sometimes those, those uh, twin imperatives conflict with each other. So try doing that every day for six months. And I think you can appreciate uh, the degree of difficulty there. Do you look at the WNBA as uh, something that you aspire to or the league aspires to being like them? In, in some respects, but only insofar as it represents the very highest of, uh, of competition uh, in the world for uh, these women athletes. Uh, I think it is different, first of all. We are a single entity. The entire company is owned by Mark Walter and, uh, uh, and his outfit. Uh, all of the teams are owned by the league. Uh, there are legal advantages to that, uh, economic advantages to that, but perhaps the most important advantage that I think all of you can identify with. We don't have different owners of different teams. We don't have different egos with different imperatives and different agendas in different markets uh, competing with each other. Uh, we are one team operated by a, uh, a board of advisors and I'm on that board, uh, but we have a head of hockey operations, Jaina Heffer, who I, I assume is well known to you in Toronto, and uh, an Amy Shear, a, a businesswoman with many years of experience in professional sports, including women's sports, and most recently the NFL. And uh, they're running it all, um, all with the frame, with the mindset that we are aligned with our players, and that is to build the biggest, most stable, longest lasting league that we can have. That's the goal. Now on the ice, everyone, every team, every coach completes, competes like mad, uh, but off the ice, we are all in this together. Our interests are aligned, all the teams, all the league and all the players. And um, that's a huge benefit for us. And I think everyone can already see how it has come together uh, to make our league really the talk of sports for the last couple of weeks. Do you see a long-term integral relationship with the National Hockey League? I think uh, all I can foresee is, is a good cooperative relationship. Um, many of you have, have heard the story. My very first phone call when we got these two deals done simultaneously was to Jaina, who I, who I wanted to head up hockey for us right away. And my second was to Gary Bettman, whom I've known for 40 some years. Um, and he immediately said, I'm in. Whatever we can do to help you, we will do. Because I think, uh, I think he has tried for a long time uh, to have a relationship with the best women's hockey players in the world because there was this competition and kind of nastiness in, in some cases between uh, the, the different groups of players. He didn't want to be in the middle of that, which I understand. But now that we had a chance to be all one world, uh, he said, I want to help you as as much as I can. And that's exactly what they've done. He made a speech to the Board of Governors. He made a speech to the team presidents, encouraging their cooperation. And in every case, in all six of our markets, the local NHL team has been extraordinarily cooperative and helpful. And even in other markets where we're going to have some neutral site games, they've been fantastic too. So I don't know if the relationship with the NHL ever changes, um, but from my standpoint, it doesn't need to because the way they are working with us right now 
is outstanding and, and greatly appreciated by us. One last thing, you know, we're gonna have a role in their, in their All-Star Weekend on that Thursday. Right. We'll have the PWHL three-on-three tournament uh, at Scotiabank and uh, I will be there and I'm really looking forward to it. So you talked about uh, what I would describe as the fractured relationship that, that the two women's leagues had um and it, and that wasn't something recent that's something that was ongoing for years and years and years stan H- how were you so quick to remedy that issue because quite frankly it was it was the bane of their existence they couldn't get along well you know we might have just started our league with our uh olympian and national team players which is what the pwhba was largely comprised of but when we saw uh in, in talking to the bhf uh, when we saw an opportunity to uh, to buy the league and maybe result in one single league, um, that made a lot of sense to us. It meant a lot more money initially than we were planning on doing, but it made sense to us long term. And I can't speak for them, but I, I think it made sense for them too, because you you should know they always harbored the the goal of being one league, and they were trying to talk to PWH. PA players for a long time convincing them to come in, um, which I understand. Uh, um, I cannot minimize the role that the PHF played in getting us here. They, you know, they did the very best they could with the resources available to call this any kind of business at all was hard uh, because this is expensive, Uh, but they did the best job they could. And I will say, whatever you say about them, they have a critical role in establishing a foundation that allowed us to build upon and that brought us to where we are today. So I have only good things to say about them and their ownership also. Um, but I think they recognize that we provide the best opportunity to become one league. And, and I think uh, they wanted that for all the uh, reasons that I've talked about. Uh, obviously, expansion in the future is something that you would acknowledge you would like to see happen. Six teams is a nice number, but the NHL has done six teams since the mid-1960s. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, look, sure, we'd like to get bigger. We'd like to get stronger. First, we have to get established, and that's what this year, the shortened yeah. year is, is about. It's figuring out are we in the best cities? Are we in the best venues? Should we be somewhere else? Should we be playing in a different building? Those kind of things are, are things we're gonna focus on a lot this year and even next year. And once we really get established with a firm base, of course, we'd like to expand to other cities. Eventually we'd like to be across the continent. Um, and then, you know, with, with the cooperation of the IIHF, someday we hope to have a relationship with. European teams as well, uh, and European players. So, but that's that's off into the future. Again, I'm two weeks into this, and uh, I understand. Yeah, enjoy, enjoying every day, but really feeling good about our. Future. So, so um, will you always be a single entity league? That's our plan. We don't have any plans to change it. Uh, could time change it? Certainly possible. Um, I don't know, but but yeah, our plan is to remain a single entity league. For the reasons I've said, it, right. it keeps everyone aligned. Uh, and we don't have any of the team versus team off-ice squabbles. And believe me, I say this, I'm one of those knuckleheads that any commissioner has to deal with every day, okay? I understand the problems I can create 
or commissioners and leagues. And every league has about 30 of those in there. And that complicates things in a way that we think we can avoid. Jason, the other one is if you're a hockey nerd, you're looking at all these hockey sweaters and they all, they don't have logos on them. They don't have nicknames on them. When, when, when does that, when do you roll that out? Is that something for the summertime before next season? No later than that, I think. Uh, uh, but I have to tell you, I have to tell you, you know, I think most of the of the uh, really, really popular uh, leagues in the world don't have nicknames, right? You, you know, and, and people aren't bemoaning the lack of a nickname when uh, Liverpool was playing Chelsea, okay? Or when Real Madrid is playing FC Barcelona and on and on and on. However, here in North America, we've gotten used to nicknames. I think it's probably uh, the best outcome, probably the outcome we will land on, but we are studying everything. I would say, I, I don't know when we will announce nicknames uh, or logos yet, but it's coming. The it's only coming. reason I asked that, that's another, when you consider the... Uh... Uh, the popularity of your short-lived league right now. That's another great merchandising opportunity, isn't it? Yeah, but we're selling everything we can already. The problem has been production and delivery to the buildings or delivery online. That's a long lead item, as I've been telling people. We had six months before opening day. It wasn't enough time to get you know, merchandise where we want it to be. But for now, Everything with a Toronto on it, everything with a Minnesota on it, everything with a Boston, et cetera. We're selling out everything we have. Uh, we're ramping up sales and we're ramping up new items. Uh, uh, just this weekend, we had new items in venue. Uh, this week, I expect it to come online. Uh, by the way, we sell really cool stuff online. And um, I'll send Bob the link. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you're already subscribed to thepwhl.com. I mean, how could you not be? You're sports guys. You should be covering sports. Why, do you, you're you. On, why are you on the show? Exactly. <laughs> Excellent question. I asked myself that too. Believe me. <laughs> if in an NHL team, let me hypothesize, hypothesize, an NHL team comes to you guys and says, we want a team in our city, in the PWHL, and we will buy that franchise. What do you uh, do? I, I will tell you that happened to me on day one. Uh, that's the absolute truth. That happened okay. to me on day one. And uh, we think our model is the better model than that. I'm not going to rule it out for the future because I don't rule anything out for the future. Um, but uh, that was one of the first and best uh, things that happened to me because it was kind of a proof of concept that people knowledge understood what we had put together, the elements of what we had put together and would be supportive of us and interested in our business model. And is there a way to, to make partnerships that don't interfere with all the good things uh, that we have in our current arrangement? I, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but it's not something we're planning. But to answer your question, we've had those calls from team owners from non-team owners, and increasingly from funds that there are out there which invest in leagues from day one, literally from day one. The, the, other, the other thing, Stan, is that, as you know, with your background in, in running the, the Thrashers, um, the National Hockey League has relied or accepted a ton of corporate sponsorship from the country of 40 million people. 
versus the country of 320 million people. Canada has been a driving financial force in hockey for a long time. Is that the case with this one? I see Canadian Tires in, Air Canada is in. Is, is this a, a league corporately driven by Canadian sponsors? Well, I, I think they're very prominent and they were the most prominent early on. Right now, I would say our sponsorship is about 40% US, 60% uh, Canadian. Yeah. Um, over time, I wouldn't be surprised if that changes just because of the number of potential uh, partners in the US, but I don't know that. We're very happy. And in fact, we're thrilled with our Canadian sponsors and how they jumped in to support yeah. women's hockey. But you also have to keep in mind, uh, there is a movement in the US, perhaps more than any other country, to really invest in women's sports. This is something that has been building. Again, I mentioned my partner, Billie Jean King, who first fought for equal pay in tennis 50 years ago and is still fighting for it. And, and people know in the US that the way to beef up their, uh, their portfolio of women's support and women's sports uh, is through investment and attaching yourself to something Billie Jean believes. And so we expect uh, our, our percentages to shift and we expect a very robust U.S. presence among our partner among our partnership sponsors because that's already showing what will happen. But we will never outgrow the Canadian support, which really is where all of this starts. Right. And uh, thank goodness for that because they have been extraordinary. As I think you know, uh, we're, we're basically selling out all three franchises uh, in Canada right now, and uh, that bodes very well for our future. The, the, the interesting <laughs> thing, Stan, is that that. Your three venues in Canada, Verdun, yeah. Mattamy, and TD Place in Ottawa. I think it's called TD Place still. It might may have changed its name. Yeah, are, it is. Are, are are your are your smallest venues? Yeah, you're, well, you're in bigger um, you're in bigger venues in the United States than you are in Canada. Well, you know, uh, uh, the sweet spot we thought to start the season would be a venue between four and six thousand, let's say, but. Uh, in the bigger cities that we're in, they don't make venues that size. Right. Uh, so um, they just have small and extra large in the U.S. <laughs> so Canada has all of the sizes. Um, but we are going to be playing games in other venues uh, in Montreal, maybe even in, uh, in Toronto before the year is over. And we're going to explore opportunities uh, in the future to play in other places as well. Uh, we want to get off the ground in the best buildings we could have. And we made, I, I'm pleased to say, great choices because the support of the building and of the communities where we play has been extraordinary. And I think it bodes well for our future. And the more stories I see saying, the problem with the PHL is their buildings are too small. That's a that's, good thing. That's a good thing. That's right. That's right. That's a good thing. Hey, the, the other thing is that you have had tremendous support from all three networks in Canada that carry sports. TSN and Sportsnet and the CBC. Um, you, you've had some in the United States. I think Nesson and Madison Square Garden Network carry. But uh, do, do you ever see a, a national presence on, on television in the United States? I definitely do. Uh, uh, and uh, let's start with Canada. How about that for extraordinary, right? All three simulcasting our opening game. What does that tell you? That, that had never happened before. And, and, and don't tell Gary that it out, outrated the outdoor game in this in this country. Either. Yeah, don't tell him that. Please yeah. don't tell him that. Or, or the two U.S. Uh, college semifinal games. <laughs> <laughs> you know. um, 
Uh, by the way, I, I got a nice congratulatory note from Gary after that. I really did. Um, and uh, so we're covered in Canada about as well as you can be. Uh, going forward, I, I think and I hope all three networks will continue to be involved with us. Um, I don't know if it's like this year's packages or not, but but their help has been fantastic. Their support has been fantastic. Uh, I, I hope it continues. In the US, uh, we are in the RSNs of each of our three markets, the same RSNs which carry that market's NHL teams. Right. You know, okay. we can't do better now. And for everyone else, like in the world, we're on YouTube. You can see every one of our games, no matter where you are. And uh, that took a lot of work, six months, by the way, that's impossible. And yet here we are. And uh, so we couldn't be in better shape from a TV standpoint right now. Now, obviously, in terms of money, when we're on an, one national outlet, um, there would probably be advantages to that. But, but for now, all I want to say is how excited I am yeah. for where we landed and the fact that everyone can see us everywhere. That wasn't an easy. And the other thing we said, and this was important to the players, uh, uh, what kept coming back to me during the last year was professionalism, professional. They wanted to be treated like elite athletes everywhere should be treated. They want to be treated as professionals. They wanted professional uh, uh, rights and professional duties. And they wanted professional training centers and professional venues and professional equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, uh, and so that cost money that, you know, we didn't cut corners. We wanted everything to be as if you're a professional major league, which you are. Uh, and that included broadcasts. If you have watched any of our broadcasts, I think you will have to admit they are professional major league broadcasts in every respect. We're very proud of that. It's expensive, but it's worth that investment because like I said, everyone in the world can see our broadcasts. They are professional broadcasts. They tell the world we are here. We are not short term. We are not long term. We are permanent. And that's what I want everyone to understand. We are certainly aware that for the past whatever, forever, 40, 50 years, Canada and the U.S. have been the two countries that have competed for the top of women's hockey, both at the Olympics and in, in tournaments every year that they hold. While there are many other countries who have women's teams, they simply haven't been good enough, except... What we've seen in the past couple of years is a dramatic improvement in in uh, women's hockey other outside Canada and the U.S. How important is that to you? Well, it's interesting you say that because this year in the PWHL, which again got started very late, we have players from twelve countries. So uh, the word is out there. I think uh, I think players around the world not only know about us, but maybe even harbor uh, dreams of playing in our league someday. Um, we know about the presence of leagues in Europe. Again, I don't want to run afoul of any, any relationship with the IIHF. Uh, we'll have things we have to work out for sure. But I think we represent the highest level of women's hockey in the world. Um, and increasingly people around the world are noticing that. And I hope that we have a relationship with international players, including uh, players playing. By the way, to Bob's point, they just completed the under 18 women's tournament uh, in Switzerland. 
And the gold medal game was between the United States and Czechia, not the United States and Canada. Right. So the, the game is growing in Europe, and uh, you're going to be the beneficiary of that. Okay. Well, of Car Carla McLeod. Carla McLeod, uh, who should be in the Hall of Fame. So. And she, and she was the coach of the Czechia national team, and she is now our coach in Ottawa. And, and like all our coaches, doing a great job. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a couple of uh, questions off the board, Stan. Um, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Like, okay. Let me go to San Francisco. Thank, okay. That's good. That's good. Perfect. Um, <laughs> um, there's talk about expansion in the National Hockey League, and the top of the list is going to be Atlanta, Georgia. What do you think? Oh, I thought it was San Francisco. That's why I, uh, I put Well, they up. apparently already have a team 60 <laughs> miles down the road, but – uh, Atlanta um, I, in the I, suburbs, right? In the suburbs. Yeah, that would require an arena, which uh, it doesn't exist right now. But if someone puts an arena there, I, I love Atlanta. I still live in Atlanta. I'm just never there. Um, and um, I love Atlanta. And I think it would support a team uh, in the northern suburbs where I think a higher concentration of hockey fans exists. It would do just fine. But Building buildings these days is not an easy task, and it's not cheap, and it's a lot cheaper than the last time I built a building. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a lot more expensive than the last time I built a building. So, um, but Atlanta as a market is fantastic. Uh, I do not know any of the NHL's expansion plans, though. Sorry. No, no, I didn't expect you to. But you, you, well, you. If how far if will they, they go? How far will they go? Will they go that far? That's maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, but you're convinced that if they go to the right location, it would be fine? Sure, sure. If they had a good NHL quality building in the right location, Atlanta, Atlanta is one of the world's great cities. Um, not many cities getting Olympics in there, right? And um, so sure, no question. There's no, no question in my mind about the, uh, uh, the population uh, or the sports fandom in it. In fact, before the Thrashers left, I was I had just left Washington and uh, working on my my next thing. Tommy Glavin and I were involved together in trying to keep the Thrashers in town, but then this uh, baseball thing came up, and so we had to drop. Yeah, the drop damn that, Dodgers. The that damn project. Dodgers, eh? <laughs> yeah, and so now they're in Winnipeg. But you know, it's good for Winnipeg, and but Atlanta can certainly. And the, the other thing, the other thing for me, I'll let Bob have the last question. The other thing for me is how close did you get to buying the Islanders? Who? The Islanders. I had a story that you actually sat down with somebody to try to buy the Islanders. You know, it's, you know, my name gets thrown around for every single deal out there, especially when I'm in these, I've had these two retirements in my life when there was a rumor about me every day, probably have them started by my account. I don't know. But, but we, uh, um, I talked to a lot of people about a lot of things. That's all I can say. So the answer is certainly not close if there was anything at all, because I don't remember anything specific at all. Not with, any, not with the guys that own 400 uh, taxi cab uh, licenses? Oh, that guy, yeah. No, that was, <laughs> I do remember that guy, but that wasn't the island. We, we had talks with that guy about a completely different team with, with a, partner of mine whose name would be well known to you but i'm going to continue to keep it private for today yeah well, i know who it is, I know I, who I, it I, is. Yeah. no no he were he he and i the taxi cab guy who's a lovely guy um never did buy an nhl team he uh we had talks about another nhl team during that same time period but it didn't work out 
Uh, look, I shut up when you were BSing about Atlanta <laughs> and how great it would be to have them back in the NHL. The truth of the matter is Atlanta is the worst major sports city in the world, maybe. Uh, certainly in America it is. And right. hockey is not going back there. I wouldn't put it there with your money. And you have plenty. <laughs> you have plenty. So forget <laughs> that, okay? I love you anyway. What, what, whatever you say, Bob. Whatever you oh, say. Okay. Okay. Thank that, you. That's that, that's a great that's a great punctuation point to end <laughs> this conversation when you two are getting along so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for this, Stan. My pleasure, guys. Good. Great talking. seeing you, Stan. Thank you. All right, you too, Bob. Take care. Thanks, pal. Stan Caston, chief bottle washer of the Dodgers and, the, and one of the advisors to the PWHL. McCown and I'll be back after this. Okay, just just for the record, Bob. What? You and Caston go back how far? Oh God, maybe forty years or so. Something really? Like that. Yeah, he was in Atlanta when we first met. Yeah. I don't really remember the circumstances, but I brought him up to Toronto a couple of times to be on a television show. And you know what? I can't even remember what the show was, but uh, we became friends and uh, we still are friends. I hope you uh, saw that during the interview. So, so here, here's, here's the fascination. So uh, last week um, I text Stan and here's a guy, he's the president of the Dodgers. He's a little busy. He's got this women's hockey league going. He's a little busy. I text Stan to say, hey, come on with Bob and me. He got back to me in 30 seconds. Really? 30 seconds. Well, nobody, nobody gets back to me that quickly, but Stan Caston did. And you can see the relationship. It's, it is kind of cool. Yep. Well, I love him dearly. You know, I have the greatest respect for him. He is the one executive, sports executive, that I, uh, well, I think he's the best. You know, at one point uh, in his time in Atlanta, he was actually running all three sports yes, teams. Yes, I there. do know that very he well. Was running the, he was running the Atlanta Hawks of the NBA. He was running the Thrashers. And he was running the Braves. It was unbelievable. Well, yeah, I, think, I don't think there's any coincidence in the fact that uh, the Dodgers have become this mega franchise over the last few years. Stan Caston has been the head of them. I don't think that's, you know, there's no irony there. That's very predictable. Well, he's done a, he's done an out job when he talks about all the issues of running leagues and running teams. He, you know, with there, there's a lot of personalities in and around the Dodgers uh, and uh, on and off the field. Yeah. And, and they really but have he's done, at the top of the organization. He's yep. the guy who basically makes all the big decisions for them. He certainly, uh, he certainly put made an impact in Southern California as he did in Atlanta for so many years. All right, yep. hey, tomorrow what? we are going to get uh, firsthand opinion from our pal Bob Ryan uh, about Bill Belichick. Maybe hey, by then, maybe Belichick will have another job. What do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. But I think he might. I am maybe 50, by Wednesday. <laughs> I'm fifty fifty. On Belichick coaching again. Okay, well, we'll talk That's about all. it with. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Talk about it with Bob Ryan tomorrow on the podcast. See you okay. then. Bye bye.